Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk. John Bruin is with us. Uh, excited, thrilled, overjoyed to have the Premier League behemoth back in your world, John. How are you doing? Great to have you with us. I'm good. I thought you were referring to me as the Premier League behemoth there, but uh, <laughs> no. I, I, good, good to talk to you, Joe. After all this time, all this time indeed. Uh, it comes around uh, more quickly and more quickly the older we get. So, um, yeah. In some respects, much has changed, and in other respects, it does feel as if we're very much in for. And this happens sometimes, and other times they're changing of guards. This feels like we're in for a continuation of uh, last season, and maybe the season before, to an extent whereby we have Man City against Liverpool uh, looking very much like they're better than the rest, and it will uh, go down to the wire, give or take again, and it's more of the same, and off we go. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely the case. Um, the only thing to say about that is that during that rivalry, which I suppose has gone on for the last four or five seasons, mm. both those clubs have suffered at least one blip, haven't they, where they've completely dropped off and allowed the other one to, to steal in and, and, and run away with the title. Um, but, and I suppose if, we, if we're looking ahead to the season, which one of those is more likely to have the blip? Um, I personally think... And okay, we, we're going to judge this off the community shield. Always a bad idea. Uh, but Liverpool looked a bit more ready for the season uh, than Manchester City um, at, 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 uh, in Leicester last week. Um, and, and I think what you've got uh, actually, the, the thing that I've been thinking about these two clubs is they've both signed big strikers. And I mean big strikers. Mm. Um, obviously, the sight of Haaland lumbering around uh, at Leicester, I wasn't ready for that. Now, I've seen Haaland play, uh, but the sight of him in a Manchester City shirt with other City players playing their usual, you know, uh, that flowing football, the interchange that they do. And then this big guy up front who looked to me a bit like, remember when Stuart Pearce let David James loose as a goalkeeper, <laughs> as a play up front? It reminded me of that. Now, obviously, this is Erling Haaland, one of the world's finest young athletes. And it it, it, it looked to me as though that would take a while. And then, of course, you've got Nunes, um, a, a style of, of player that Liverpool haven't had for quite a while, you'd say. Uh, the, the, the galloping striker, um, probably the last of his... Ca- I mean, they signed Andy Carroll. We can't really count him as much of a Liverpool player. But uh, Fernando Torres, maybe would be in that mould. So we're going back quite a way. One thing is, though, that um, they did play the false nine before uh, with Roberto Firmino, who's, who's been an excellent player for them. Obviously, there's a, he's possibly going to be phased out or almost certainly been phased out over the years. Jürgen Klopp's a, a manager that's used to working with centre-forwards. He worked with Lewandowski back at Dortmund. So um, Liverpool, uh, more direct, uh, seems to be more suited to this uh, to this. This big man striker. Now, I, I'm one of the game's purists. I like the idea of getting it launched to the big man. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing those two strikers, to, to see the comparison and to, to see the change in focus because it almost feels like in, in signing those two players, the, the two the game's two best managers have almost regressed to the mean of English football, which is the, the centre-forward. Um, and it seems like... The 90s, since we were talking about big 
centre forwards. You know, the Shearer, Ferdinand, Dion Dublin, now Quinn era. All, I'm all for this. Mm. Is this what we're seeing? I'm mm. not sure. I'm not sure either. I do feel the discussion around Haaland this week, and to be fair, you're making points that uh, Manny brilliant observers of the game have made you know Jonathan Wilson was on last night and you know he was writing about how Haaland seemed to be playing a different game to his teammates I do feel there is a degree of silly season about this and a degree yeah, of yeah. reading way too much into the community shield sometimes the simplest explanation is is true uh, Haaland has scored 115 goals in 117 games post his career in Norway he's going to score a gazillion goals for Manchester City they're going to fit each other just fine there's too much talent there there might be a brief adjustment uh, phase but I mean brief uh, like I, even if he doesn't score in the next couple of weeks and, and, and takes a bit of time I mean if I gave you the over under all competitions is Haaland going to break 30 goals this year with Man City oh uh, I'm going to go for the under but maybe not so far under okay. really um, so you do think I, you do think definite growing pains yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Um, now, this this was put to me by uh, a friend of mine this afternoon. I think this is quite a good point, is that uh, we've seen this with Pep Guardiola over the years. It's almost like he sets himself a puzzle to work out how to make things different. And Haaland is this season's puzzle, like his wordle almost. Uh, you know, how can a player like Haaland, who is completely not... Uh, a Guardiola type of player how can he make him work in his team now I'm sure Jonathan and, and several others have made the comparison to Zlatan Ibrahimovic you know going but it's going back 10 years yeah. they, you know, perhaps evolved as a manager since then his teams don't play exactly the same football as they did back then but is this some sort of rosebud thing where it's like I couldn't make it work with Ibrahimovic but I'm going to make it work with Haaland and prove that I can play different styles of football than the ticky-tacker, tippy-tappy thing that other people criticise me for over the years. People criticising the best teams of all time, but there you go. Um, but yeah, there will be growing pains. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, when players sign for Manchester City, they have to fit into that system. Mm. There's been growing pains throughout that time, really. Um, Jack Grealish is on his second season. You couldn't say that last season was the type of season that he, he, he would have hoped for. Um, he, he made a contribution, but not nearly as much. You've got Riyad Mahrez, who um, perhaps in his first season didn't really make any sort of impact. Um, when you consider that Mahrez was the best player in Leicester's team that had won the title, it takes a while under Guardiola. And Haaland, for all his talent, is not going to be uh, immune to that, is he? There is going to be... Um, the growing pains, the phrase you used. Um, and it being Manchester City, uh, there's a plan B, there's a plan C. Um, and, you know, that there are other players that can play in the forward line that have delivered for them in the years that Pep Guardiola has been at the club. So I don't think Guardiola is going to be too worried uh, if, if Haaland doesn't work out. It, but um, fitting him into a team, uh, assimilating him into a team, when you've got Liverpool, who perhaps look a bit more ready-made, charging up the table, that might present a problem for them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'd, I'd be amazed if there's problems here. I think he's just going to revel in this, to be honest, Haaland, and uh, very quickly they'll figure each other out. You mentioned uh, Grealish 
His interviews uh, post-season or in the immediate aftermath of the season last year were uh, celebrated for being so forthright and honest and they were uh, brilliant. You know, I think everybody warmed to Jack Grealish actually the way he was talking about how difficult he found playing at Man City and uh, in effect it boiled down to Grealish saying I just couldn't be myself and and possession was king and I just, it was only really in in one or two games where he said he he got a good early touch or an early goal and he kind of thought, right, I feel like me again. You know, he used that phrase, I felt like me again and he talked about as well, just always been acutely aware of Guardiola's presence at training, like this intimidation and this kind of a person to be impressed. And, and it must be very difficult to be a player like Grealish, who's never had to worry about these things, to suddenly being almost uh, self-conscious. That was the, what Grealish really was talking about. He was probably self-conscious for the first time on a football pitch, having um, come through this first season and then almost you know voiced these kind of issues and, and, and maybe address them maybe I mean you'd love to know if Guardiola sat him down and said well that was really interesting I didn't know you felt that way or I you know we, let's let's see how we can map this out Grealish to blossom in season two under Guardiola like so many do or do we think there's just an incom- incompatibility there between Grealish and what he wants to do with a football and what Guardiola wants it's an interesting point you raise isn't it I mean I think when when Jack Grealish talks about that it reminded me of the way that someone joins the military and essentially they break down your character and rebuild you. Mm. And that's the way you have to be for Pep Guardiola. Now, Jack Grealish doesn't really seem the military type, does he? (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) um, You know, he's more, he's more of a maverick Tom Cruise type of guy, I suppose. (laughs) Um, Now, listen, he's a, he's a hugely talented player. Yeah. But having said that, one of Grealish's problems, I think, is that he's in a team in which there are there are players who are far more talented than him. So, being yourself, okay, you could be yourself in Aston Villa, where you are the the, the best player, you are the, the hometown king. Um, but is Jack Grealish a more talented player than Phil Foden? I'm going to say no. Uh, is he more talented than Kevin De Bruyne? Well, let's not be silly here. Uh, and Bernardo Silva. So you've got that group of players in which. You're not first among equals. You're not among equals. You're almost like fourth uh, in, in the group. They had Raheem Sterling, of course, last season, uh, and he's moved on, which which actually opens a space up for for Jack Grealish, though, of course, um, and, and Gabriel Jesus has moved on as well. So Grealish has moved up the reckoning uh, because players have moved on. Though Haaland has also come in, uh, he'll be given the stage to, to do it. But um, I think from his point of view. His talent, such as it is, uh, and his uh, focus as well, has to step up as well. That's the point of working for Guardiola. He breaks you down to become a better player, and you have to respond to that. And I think uh, Grealish's honesty was appreciated, though I do wonder how appreciated it might be by Guardiola himself. Because I thought there was a very fair argument that Guardiola really damaged Grealish last season. Yeah, and didn't nurse him through the growing pains. Like I do think Guardiola does have this standoffish quality to his character, and uh, Guardiola or, uh, Grealish was obviously bereft of confidence. And where it really hit me that he had not ruined Grealish as a player, but really taken away something intrinsic was at the Bernabeu when Grealish came off the bench against Madrid on that you know infamous night where City once again bowed out of the Champions League. And for the last uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes normal time and then into extra time, uh, the real avenue for Man City, if they wanted to take it, was Grealish against Carvalho. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and there were times where 
Grealish was standing Carvajal up and there was 15, 20 yards behind Carvajal and like the thing to do at that point was to risk possession was to take him on and was to try and make something happen and almost every time that night Grealish shooed the opportunity to do that passed it back inside because you could see him thinking this is what Pep wants me to do he wants me to keep the ball and I dare say even Pep that night realised actually the way to go at Madrid here is to get Grealish taking Carvalho on but he never did it and I remember thinking that night this is every bit as much on Pep as Grealish that he's, that he's ended up in this state yeah. where he's got a 30-something year old right back and he's got the beating of him and there's no other route through it's a very crowded congested situation and he refused to take him on that night and I kind of thought yeah the, you know Jack's only partly responsible for this yeah yeah and um, you know if, if you pay £100 million for a player you've got to try and make that player work you have to mm. accommodate them uh, because you know you've got to answer to the bottom line of the club. Okay, City is a club where finances aren't you know too much of a concern. But I suppose is there an argument that if you uh, introduce Haaland into the team, you've already got Grealish there. That there's the possibility that Guardiola may be eyeing uh, the team being a bit more direct than it was before, mm. a bit more um, using speed on the counter. Um, attacks including far fewer passes yeah. I think that's a possibility I think again because um, okay Manchester City are going for this season they're going for five out of six titles um, the only previous teams to match that are Liverpool obviously 1970s 1980s um, and uh, Manchester United what was the thing that both those clubs did at the same time? They won the Champions League, of course, or the European Cup. Pep's ultimate goal is to find his way to win matches in in by more ways than the one that keeps failing him in those on those big occasions. And uh, it, it appears to me that maybe maybe Grealish and Haaland could be the solution to that. Having said that, uh, everything you say is correct, Joe. Is that there's an uneasy relationship between him and Grealish, or there was, um, and there's a possibility that that might be the case with Haaland. Um, Manchester City, as I said, of the two big teams in the Premier League uh, in the coming season, they're the ones with the bigger questions against them when they're the title holders. Manchester United, the soap opera continues in various ways. Oh. Dean Henderson, now on loan at Nottingham Forest... Only on yes. loan at Nottingham Forest. So I don't know how his current employers, uh, what they'll make of the interview he's given. So in effect, he's talking about how miserable his time at Manchester United was. Uh, he burst on the scene, obviously, at Sheffield United in a big way and then went back to Old Trafford on the promise that he would be number one. Effectively, De Gea got injured towards the end of uh, season before last. And so there was a sense Henderson's ready to take the mantle. But then he had COVID and De Gea's form improved and suddenly De Gea was number one for the year. And so Henderson is... Um, well, talking about how there were false promises made to him now, he said, I turned down so many good uh, loan offers last summer for the reason that I was being told I'd be the number one. So I turned down loan moves in the summer and then they wouldn't let me go. To sit there, waste 12 months is criminal, really, at my age. I was fuming. And then he says of this summer that he basically got out before Ten Hag could see him. So he said, I didn't really want the manager to see me in training because I knew he'd probably want to keep me. So, his, you know, his confidence is still... Intact, we can uh, say, Henderson. Yeah. I, I think, I suspect he's gone through personally a really difficult, horrible time and now has done the interview and 
it's been destroyed by left, right and centre. Danny Mills uh, leading the um, charge yes. as, as, as self-pitying and, and uh, you know, emblematic of all that's wrong with Manchester United. Um, yeah. Uh, I, it, it, again, with Dean Henderson, one of the greatest issues you've got is you've got this great confidence. That's clearly been um, his uh, calling card as a player. You know, when he was back at Sheffield United, he was talking about being the Manchester United number one at a time when, you know, David De Gea, um, uh, you, you throw it forward 20, 30 years, David De Gea is the only Manchester United player that can really carry his bat from the last decade, really, or the last seven, eight years. Um, you, you talk, you're asking a hell of a lot to, to step ahead of that. He was granted that chance. Uh, I'm thinking of a game against Liverpool. Um still in that pandemic uh, behind closed yes. door season where it really didn't happen for him. You know, he, he was made to look, um, there's one, you know, internet mem or meme at the time that showed that was deeply embarrassing for him. Now, now this confidence aspect for him, he's always reminded me a little bit of, uh, Joe Hart, uh, you know, a similar, uh, similar style goalkeeper actually, uh, and similar confidence, um, and uh, actually, funny enough, a similar uh, penalty saving technique in the shootout, from what I recall, you know, trying to put off the opponent. Um, he's obviously a, a vibes type of guy. Um, and in the doldrums in which Manchester United found themselves, that clearly wasn't appreciated. I don't think he's the only player who felt that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had his favourites and then didn't look beyond them uh, or felt that. Uh, Promises were made to them and, and not kept. Um, yeah, I think uh, it, uh, other players have been, well, not so publicly explicit about it, but read between the lines of the various post-mortems of the season and speak to people to, at the club, and there was a lot of that went on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the, the Grealish interview of, of being incredibly revealing. Um, Henderson's attempted something similar, yeah. but it's not, really had the same effect, no, has it? I, I, think, I think Grealish develops a lot of public sympathy. Um, Grealish is a... I mean, he's quite an endearing character, isn't he, when yeah. he speaks? You know, and, 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 and Henderson hasn't managed to achieve that. It's an own goal. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and, 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 you know, this is, a, this is a player that I think was linked with Newcastle. He's gone to Forest, who, you know, an ambitious, promoted club. Um but that's one that rings alarm bells in the back office of clubs, isn't it? Well, this is the guy that complained about that, you know, that appeared in all the papers. It seems to have shot himself in the foot there a little bit. Uh, just one other Manchester United question then before we uh, move on, because I know there's always this uh, sense of talking about them uh, far too much, but uh, Ten Hag has come out very publicly against Ronaldo and others, it must be said. I think Diogo Dallo uh, was also guilty of uh, leaving the Rayo Vallecano friendly at Old Trafford early. So Ronaldo played the first 45 minutes and then he was pictured leaving the game and yeah. Eric Ten Hag has described this as unacceptable. He said there were many more as well as Ronaldo who went home and he's, he's talked at length about how unacceptable uh, this was. What's your read on the Ten Hag-Ronaldo situation? Well, I, from a, when I read that had uh, been his reaction, I felt it was absolutely the correct one. Um I think uh, at a point before we've even kicked a ball, 
Um, it, 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 it's indicative of Manchester United that we're having these battles over players that should be leaving the club but aren't, uh, and and a new manager. Um, cast my mind back to this. There was a similar sort of dispute, not quite the same detail, uh, between Rooney and David Moyes. Remember in that first summer mm. when David Moyes took over a battle of wits, and it's one that I don't think David Moyes won. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, you know, let's not play national stereotypes, but in that very sort of Dutch fashion was just, you know, let's not mess around here. This is what I think about that. Um, and Ronaldo, should he, well, I don't know if he even thinks like this, has to take his medicine for that. That's not how football footballers behave. OK, this is a 37-year-old, uh, you know, father um, and, you know, uh, one of the, the great um, figures of the game. But you still can't behave like that. Um, Alex Ferguson would have dressed down, you know, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce for that type of behaviour. That's what goes on. Um, and I also think from a political point of view, Ten Hag's played it correctly because, OK, there are those. There might still be a rump of Manchester United fans that still think Ronaldo is Ronaldo. Ronaldo, you know, let's face it, Ronaldo is just about the only example that Manchester United fans have ever had of having the best player in the world playing for their team. Mm. So many great memories. But those are memories. And this is not the same Ronaldo. And this is a new manager. And he's got to stamp his authority. And this is a point where any sensible Manchester United fan, I would suggest, has to just to realise that Ronaldo's time is gone. This is a new manager. It's best for all that Ronaldo moves on. We've got another month of this to come, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but... You know, well said, Ten Hag and Diego Dalot. Well, you know, you've done nothing really as a Manchester United player. What do you think you're doing? Mm. Invariably, we break the Premier League table up into various sections. So we have Man City and Liverpool. We have the chase from Spurs and Arsenal and Chelsea. And I presume they're still aspiring to Manchester United. Uh, we have yes. then at the other end uh, those who are relegation threatened. So we have promoted sides and we have Leeds who just avoided it. We have Everton who have just avoided it and Southampton, I suppose, we can call mid-table-ish. What of that kind of middle section that we never spend too much time talking about? So you've got West Ham who had such a great season last year. They finished seventh behind United. And then we have Leicester still, you know, 2016 lingers in the memory but increasingly distant. We have Brighton. We have Wolves. Newcastle are a special case. They finished 11th last year. You have Crystal Palace, you have Brentford, you have Aston Villa. This middle section with upwardly mobile aspirations. Yes, yeah. and um, Something that quite a few of those clubs share in common is that they haven't done a lot of business so far. Now, there might be several reasons for that. Um, you know, there's a financial crisis going on. There's... Uh, there are greater regulations. Um, the market is perhaps not as fluid as it used to be. But um, West Ham, uh, talking to somebody last night, you know they're, they're pushing actually to almost a, a hundred million of signings. And uh, this person who would know, I don't think they're too sure about the players that West Ham have signed. Um, uh, you know, David Moyes has been granted a bit of control over that. Can they be better last season? Whether well, the plan is to be so, um, but we are beginning to wonder if I mean he's actually had two really good seasons, hasn't he, David Moyes uh, at West Ham to push on for that. But then you've got a slightly different thing, uh, Newcastle. Now uh, Newcastle have found it difficult to 
um, sign players and are now um, doing something which is quite familiar from clubs that come into money, is they're trying to pick off those around them, uh, specifically Leicester. Um, now, there was a bid that went in £50 million for Harvey Barnes a week or so ago. That was rejected. Now they're in for James Madison. Now, Leicester, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, are a club to watch because uh, look at their squad uh, and you will see that there's about 26, 27 professionals in there. You're only allowed 25. You've got to ship out um, from what it is said is that they're rather overgeared on wages. Um, the players like Vestergaard they bought last season haven't worked out. Um, they've got players like Ryan Bertrand who... You know, I think uh, he's got a year to go on his contract, but don't think he's got much of a place in the squad. Um, and previously, Leicester were able to sell players on. Um, Harry Maguire would be an example of that. And that hasn't happened. And also, Leicester have not bought anybody. Mm. Um, now, one of the reasons for that is that the uh, tie owners perhaps don't have the wealth that they did before because uh, their businesses in duty free now over the last couple of years um, flights and so on and duty free probably haven't has been as prosperous as it used to be um, and uh, so Leicester um, from being there or thereabouts you know pushing towards the top six in a couple of recent seasons though not so much last season although they did have that run in the, the conference league they possibly might plunge down now you mentioned the 2016 title win, uh, which came before they started to push into being a, you know one of those middle established clubs. They also won the FA Cup last year. Yeah. Let us let us not forget they've had a great time, mm. but it may be that this is time that they have to uh, regress a little bit. Uh, the only problem is that um, we've seen this an awful lot in Premier League history over the last 30 years. Is that there are certain clubs that you look at and think, yeah, that club's established in the Premier League. Mm. And before you know it, that club is playing in the Championship. Mm. Uh, Stoke City is, is one that springs to mind. Middlesbrough. The, the, this type of club that you just think are always going to be around, and then they're not. Uh, and let's have to guard against that. Wolves um, uh, are not dissimilar situation. Uh, their owner, um, Chinese owner, um, obviously the Chinese economy is... Uh, slowed up quite a bit. Um, he uh, is known as the Warren Buffet of China, uh, but has um, uh, has a significant debt, which also is not particularly, uh, it, it, it's not a good situation to be in. They've not got the money that they previously had to, to, uh, to give George Mendes to go out and you know bring in his stable of players. They brought in one player, one player who you know well, uh, Nathan Collins, who I think is a, a very good signing um, uh, for the money. That solved one problem in the team. But uh, if you look at them last season, uh, well, Jimenez, who, let's face it, and sadly is not the same player that we saw three seasons ago after his life-threatening injury, scored six goals, top scorer. He's not actually going to start the season because I think he's got an injury. Um, Wolves, to me, seem like they might have problems Um I watched an interview a while back with the manager, Bruno Lager, uh, talking about how he was looking forward to getting new players in and fitting them into his new pattern of play. Well, they've signed one player, mm. uh, and that's a centre-half. I'd be worried about Wolves. Mm. Um, and you've got that you've got that sort of upwardly mobile club, and you've got Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa would be 
one of those. Um, and uh, it, it, one of the issues that you have in the Premier League is if, if you try and stay the same, you try and consolidate, others will go beyond you. And that's when you run into problems. And I do think when I look at the Premier League for next season, it does feel to me like there's a few clubs that are trying to consolidate for next season. I think that's possibly, and I think, I think that is, uh, it's a dangerous strategy in the Premier League. Okay, well, we'll watch out for that. John, we'll check in in a couple of weeks, no doubt. Thanks so much for the time. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk.